0: It is the final week in this uh, series we've been doing uh, in the book of uh, Amos and we've been talking about exactly um, the, the purpose of this book. I think sometimes we, we, uh, we think uh, only the New Testament is fun to talk about or only certain passages in the Old Testament and the thing that's been fun about going through a book of prophecy is just to see this thread of God's love and faithfulness through us uh, all the way through Scripture. Scripture. Uh, The the Old Testament uh, is the story of the the nation of Israel. God went to a man uh, named Abraham and said that he was going to bless all of humanity through his descendants. And so the nation of Israel had a unique calling on their life. They were called to love God and love people so that the world could see God's love and God's character through them. Uh, but uh, that, that didn't quite happen. And so uh, the, the book of Amos is is about a prophet who showed up on the scene and said, hey, I think we're, we're getting some things wrong. Here's what, here's what they got wrong. Uh, as Israel grew and as Israel was blessed, uh, they, were, they were a kingdom, but they were fractured into two different parts. And so the northern part of that kingdom uh, was, was called Israel. The southern part of that kingdom was called Judah. And the, neither one of them was, was really following God, specifically the, the northern tribes. Uh, they, they didn't want to go down to the south part, and they didn't want to go to the temple anymore. And so they made their own shrines and their own temples, and they started worshiping the neighboring gods of the people that they were, they were settled around. And so over time, God's people that he had a covenant with that were supposed to show his love to humanity, began to worship sex and, 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 and power and, and war. And it really began to change who they were. And so uh, God sent Amos, this farmer from the south, onto the scene to say, hey, there's some things that aren't right here. There's some things you're doing that are wrong. I've been called to, to bring attention to those things. And so Amos pointed out that the wealthy, the blessed people of Israel were ignoring the poor. He also pointed out to them that they were selling those poor people into debt slavery and trapping large portions of the people under them in this cycle of injustice. And so Amos called that out, pointed that out and pointed out exactly the error of their ways. Now, you and I, as we've said, are not the nation of Israel. We are not the Israelites, but we can learn from this because just like Israel was called to show God's love and plan to the world, we, as the church, are called to do the same thing as we tell the world about Jesus. And so we are called to show the world justice. We are called to be generous to the world. We are called to, to be light and, and hope to the world And we need to be careful of the ways that we do that. See, when our hearts are in the right spot, when our minds are in the right spot, when our worship is in the right spot, people should be able to look at our lives and see justice, righteousness, and the way that we we love our neighbor. And so as Amos showed up on the scene and said, hey, there are some things that you've messed up, some things that are not going right. One of the things that he outlined was that if they didn't correct their ways, God was going to bring judgment and God was going to use discipline and everything he could to get their attention. And so this morning, we get to wrap up this book, we get to read chapter 9, we get to talk about judgment, we get to talk about discipline, and we get to talk about God's purpose in that. And so I want to invite you to open your your Bible if you've got one there. There's probably one under your seat or behind your seat somewhere. Uh, We're going to be on pages 546 and 547. In Amos chapter 9 and uh, just as we've done for this series, we're going to read the whole chapter because we we want to see this uh, holistically. We want to see what God says to us, what God has to to say. And uh, so let me read chapter 9 to us starting on page 546. These are the words of God. This is some of the final words as Amos draws this uh, prophecy to a close. It says this in verse 1. Then I saw a vision of the Lord standing beside the altar. He said, Strike the tops of the temple columns so that the foundation will shake. Bring down the roof on the heads of the people below. I will kill with the sword those who survive. No one will escape. Even if they dig down to the place of the dead, I will reach down and pull them up. Even if they climb up into the heavens, I will bring them down. Even if they hide at the very top of Mount Carmel, I will search them out and capture them. Even if they hide at the bottom of the ocean, I will send the sea serpent after them to bite them. Even if their enemies drive them into exile, I will command the sword to kill them there. I am determined to bring disaster upon them and not to help them. The Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, touches the land and it melts, and all its people mourn. The ground rises like the Nile River at flood time, and then it sinks again. The Lord's home reaches up to the heavens while its foundation is on the earth. He draws up water from the oceans and pours it down as rain on the land. The Lord is his name. Are you Israelites more important to me than the Ethiopians? Asked the Lord. I brought Israel out of Egypt, and I also brought the Philistines from Crete and led the Arameans out of Kerr. I, the sovereign Lord, am watching this sinful nation of Israel. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. But I will never completely destroy the family of Israel, says the Lord. For I will give the command and I will shake Israel along with the other nations as grain is shaken in a sieve. Yet not one true kernel will be lost, but all the sinners will die by the sword and all those who say nothing bad will happen to us. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls from the ruins. I will rebuild it and restore its former glory and Israel will possess what is left of Edom. And all the nations I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken and he will do these things. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. Then the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands and they will rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. They will plant vineyards and gardens. They will eat their crops and drink their wine. I will firmly plant them there in their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them," says the Lord your God. I think maybe this uh, this passage uh, can can come across uh, as as. A little awkward to some of us because our impression of the Old Testament or, or many, uh, many people who would call themselves uh, unchurched or maybe non-believers just say, all right, I don't, I don't believe all that. This is their impression of the Bible and of the Old Testament, just an angry God running around telling people they're bad and, and doing things. And so I think we have to look at this passage and see it in its context. That's why I already explained that, that God had made a covenant with the people of Israel. God had called them uniquely to love him and to worship him and show his love to the world. And he didn't just show up in, in chapter 9 and say, hey, I'm shutting this party down. No, many times, multiple times in his covenant relationship, he had said, hey, Israel, you're, you're getting a little off track. We need to, we need to change things. We need to, we need to change what we're doing. I, I need your attention. Your eyes are off of me. And the same way that Amos has done in this book, in these first couple chapters we've studied these last three weeks, he's calling for the attention of Israel. And and the first couple verses of this chapter are really the fifth time that Amos is saying, listen, this is a vision that God has given me. He's warning you. He's asking you to change. He's calling you to repentance, but he's saying that if he needs to, he will discipline you to get your attention. And to get their attention... Amos is is saying, listen, God's going to come to the temple, the very place where you should be worshiping, but the very place where you've been distracted and God's going to shake that temple and do everything he can to get your attention. See, God will destroy their base and their security to make sure that they know who they should be worshiping. And that's not just something that happens in the lives of Israel. That's something that happens for you and I. God destroys our idols. God takes away our distractions and our security in them to bring us to himself. Sometimes God has to remove things. Sometimes God has to shake things. And when that happens, that can either be a blessing or that can be something that embitters us. You've probably seen that unfold and happen both ways in your life or in other people's lives. Sometimes God removes something. Sometimes God shakes something. Sometimes he takes something and that can drive you to turn your eyes to God or that can drive you to say, God's given up on me or God doesn't care about me or God is punishing me and I'm done with God. God's one last time promising that to this nation of Israel. He's saying, Listen, I'm going to shake up your lives, I'm going to shake up your country. I'm trying to get your attention because your eyes haven't been on me. I want your attention and I want your love. He's basically saying, Listen, I'm the only thing here that's that's worth worshiping. And when God removes an idol, he's doing it to get our attention and say just that. If, if your eyes are on anything but me, it's an idol, it's a distraction. And so in the next couple verses, verses two through four, Amos kind of describes in detail how God is going to bring judgment to them and to show the size of that, to show the scope of that, Amos uses these phrases that we called merisms and they're they're basically just naming two different parts of something. And so you and I do this all the time when we say something like, oh, he was dressed in browns gear from head to toe, right? Or we may say a phrase like, from here to eternity, these these phrases that are used here for the Israelites would have been very obviously showing the the great scope of of God's greatness, right? When you say that, that you're going to do something and it's going to stretch from the depths of the sea to the top of Mount Carmel, that nowhere someone goes can they escape God's wrath. He's showing them, listen, what's going to come for you, Israel, is big and it's not good. And so Amos goes on to explain this. He says that, that judgment is not going to be a, a fun process for the people that endure it. Trigg last week talked about this concept of, of self-auditing. He said that that sometimes we have an opportunity to look at our lives and say, where am I? Where is my heart? Where is my life? Where is my soul? We have an opportunity to audit our soul and say, what's going on and where am I at? And I think as Amos is talking about judgment, as we talk about judgment today, it's an opportunity for us to do a self-audit and ask, does God's judgment sound like good news or bad news to you? Certainly to the people of Israel, because their hearts and their minds and their lives weren't in the right space, this sounded like doom and gloom to them. This sounded like bad news, but it wasn't supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be just bad news, but it shows where their hearts and their minds and their lives were. Because God is is saying, yes, I'm the God of Israel, but I'm also the God of the Philistines. I'm also the God of the world and I do what I want with my creation. But he goes out of his way to say in verse 8 that he would never completely destroy Israel. So he's saying, yes, there's been injustice. Yes, there have been idols. Yes, you've taken your eyes off of me. And yes, I'm going to have to do something about this injustice, but I'm never going to completely destroy Israel. In other words, he's saying this this destruction wouldn't be permanent. It wouldn't be total because God wants to redeem and not punish. But when punishment is necessary to redeem, God's not going to withhold that. I think we can we can think of it like this: like a loving father, God disciplines those he loves in order to correct them. Some of us in the room are parents. Everyone in the the room has had some sort of parent relationship, authority relationship, and you know that sometimes people in your life have to do things to correct you, to point things out to you. It doesn't always mean you're excited about that. It doesn't always mean that it's not slightly painful. There's not an adjustment period. But what God is doing here for Israel is saying, listen, I love you, and I'm going to do this because I love you to show my love for you. That's what judgment is in God's economy. If God disciplines you, you can accept it as a sign of his love. When God disciplines you, you can accept it as a sign of his love because it means that he cares for you. It means that he wants your attention. It means that he's working in your life and your heart to help you out at your soul and see where your heart is. See, these verses are, are talking about the punishment and the judgment and the things that were going to happen, the things that were going to happen in the future. Israel, the nation of Israel, God's people, God's country, they were being told, you're going to be conquered. You're going to be crushed. You're going to be completely demolished, and all of you are going to be taken away. And that's not a fun thing to hear. But they're also hearing that God's not going to completely destroy them. God's not going to completely give up on them. God's saying, listen, the people who are guilty of injustice, the people who have been sinning in my name will not get away, but also the faithful will not be forgotten. The true believers will not be lost. God's saying that, listen, I'm still working. I'm still moving. I still love you. See, our system of justice is not perfect, but God's system of justice is. And so this plan that he's drawing up, this timeline that's happening over over history is rooted in his character and we can trust that it's good and that it's perfect. God uses judgment and discipline in his kingdom to show his love, to show his purpose and to get our attention. Judgment and discipline are just opportunities for you and I to renew our focus and to put our focus back on God. Now verses 11 and 12 that we read here are, are important and I think they're, they're always encouraging but they're, they're especially encouraging this time of year because in these verses we're told that the house of David was going to be reduced to a fallen house. We all know David. We know David from David and Goliath fame. We know that he went on to be King David, and we know that God made a promise to him that someone in his family line would always sit as the king of Israel. And that sounds really good, and I'm sure David and his family and the people love that. But then when you're being told that your country is going to be reduced to a pile of rubble, it would probably make you wonder and say, wait a minute, God, what about those promises you made to me? What about those things that you said were true? What about all the ways you promised that you would be faithful? And so Amos is visiting that topic. When he says that God would not completely destroy Israel, that God would eventually restore Israel and bring them back together, God promises to restore his renewed people and their broken world. And we see in the New Testament that God brings the Jews back together and also brings the Gentiles into the church and into this promise. See, this promise that was made here to David's descendants, this promise that was originally made in the book of 2 Samuel, seemed impossible, but it's fulfilled through the birth of Jesus, it's, it's fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus this time of year when we celebrate him coming as the Messiah. It's a reminder that God was working this plan all along to redeem and restore his people. See, God sent Jesus to not just be the, the figurative king of the Jews or the king of the Jews as we knew them in the Old Testament, but to be the king of a new kingdom to be the king of of the kingdom that he was establishing in the New Testament, the kingdom that you and I live in, the kingdom of God. Jesus was born in the line of David, and so God's promises remain true and faithful forever. See, the people of Israel were starting to give up on God or be distracted from God and... Their attention and their focus wasn't on him. Their attention and focus was on these religious festivals and and practices. And so they didn't really think, oh, God needs my heart. They just thought, like, I'll throw $20 at God sometimes. And if I have to go down to the temple and make a sacrifice, I'll do that. And whatever I need to do to look good or sound good, that's what I'll give to God. And so they were focused on these sacrifices and these half hearted things that were just empty religion. And God was calling them to so much more because when God restores his people, when God rebuilds his kingdom, when God brings his church together, he's telling us that we can't just be good enough. We can't try to do things on our own. Our attention as his people, our focus as his people needs to be renewed. God expects our belief in him to affect all areas of our lives, be extended to, to all people in all circumstances. The calling that he put on Israel was not just for for one time and one place. And the calling he puts on us as believers and as the church extends into eternity. We are called to represent God, represent the love of God, represent the character of God, and remind people of the story and restoration of God. Why? Because he showered us with his love. He made a promise to Israel And even when they turned their back on him and walked away from that promise, he said, listen, this is going to bring about consequences, but I'm going to keep my promise and I'm going to restore things. And so this chapter in this book ends with these verses of promise that remind us that God is going to restore his people. God is going to bless his people. God is going to redeem our story and God is going to change our eternity Verses 14 and 15 end with with Amos pointing to this salvation oracle and describing a time of abundance, of prosper, a time when their crops are thriving and the people are thriving and they're very aware of God's love and resting in God's love and Israel is restored and this broken relationship is taken care of. And I think we look at that and we say, well, how is that possible? Here's our, here's our big idea for the day. Here's our big idea for this, this chapter and really a reminder of where this book was going all along that God's long-term purposes are for restoration and a new family. God's long-term purposes are for restoration and a new family. Even when Israel turned their back on God, God found a way to keep his promises and God kept his promises. And even when you and I turn our back on God, God still invites us into his family and invites us into restoration. In 1972, my dad drove out to California to buy a 1931 Model A Ford. Now, that's probably really weird to some people, but that's a pretty normal thing to do in my family. He was, he was just another generation buying a Model A. In fact, I'm the first generation that hasn't owned a Model A, so I'm a failure as a man, in case you were wondering. Uh, but my dad drove out there to to get a Model A. And he went out there thinking that he would get this thing and and, and just own one because it's what you did in our family. And as he was driving that thing back across America, he said for the first time, he started to realize this car is not in the best of shape. And as he got it home, he drove it a a little more and a a little more. And he started to realize this thing needs some work. And so he started looking at what he could change and what he could fix in that. And the the more he took apart, the more he looked, he, he finally realized this thing just needs a complete restoration, it's 40 years old, it's not in a good spot, and I could, I could put some duct tape on something, I could pretend to fix things, but honestly, if I'm going to love this car and enjoy this car, it's gotta be restored. And so he started to lean into my grandpa and my uncles and these relationships they had. And they rebuilt water pumps and they, they changed things. They did body work. They completely painted that car. And I'll never forget the, the first, uh, first time my dad fired that Model A up after he'd reassembled it when I was in like first grade. He was out in the, the driveway and all of a sudden you just heard this engine running. And we're like, what is that? You know, we go running out and he's like, I did it. It was like he created fire for the first time, right? He was so excited. And we started to drive that thing around and enjoy it. But here's a little secret about Model A's. See, the cars we drive now have like metal floorboards, they would call them. Well, that's because in the Model A era, the floor was literally a board, right? So if you've heard the phrase floorboards, that was a a piece of plywood in our car. And so when we would drive around, we could see the road beneath us. And my dad knew that he needed to do something else to fix that car and restore that car and bring it back to its original glory. And so there was a man named J.R., and that was my, my grandpa's friend. And he was like the guru, the model A sensei, right? He was that guy you would call when you didn't know something. And he would be like, come near, my son, and let me tell you the ways, right? And so my, my dad knew that he was... He was in need of this guy. This guy was an expert of all things engines and all things interiors, and not just that, but he could, he could redo the upholstery in a Model A from, from scratch. He would buy a kit, and he would reupholster the entire car and, and have it look brand new as the day it was purchased. And so my dad just kind of went to him and said, listen, I've done everything I can with this car, but I need your help. And so he went to, to RJ and just said, hey, can you, can you do this as a favor to me, to our family, to my dad? And he did that. That guy, that guy went and, and, and re-sewed the entire upholstery and, and, and restored that car. And we went and picked it up one day and we got to see it as it was intended to be completely restored. Now for that restoration to take place, there had to be a moment where my dad kind of looked at things and said like, you know what, this car is not great. And even though he had done the things he could do and, and tried to make it better, there was finally a moment where he said, you know what, I need some help. I can't get this to the finish line. I can't get it where it needs to be and I, I need some help. See, my dad had to come to a point of, of resignation. When we think of resignation, we often think of like resigning from a job and, and leaving a job and, and maybe we, we think of that word in the right context but resignation is really just saying I'm not going to do this or I can't do this anymore. For one reason or another, I need to resign. And that's not just a concept for, for cars. It's a, it's a spiritual concept. See, in the face of judgment, sometimes we need to realize that we've messed up and that we can't do enough. This is not just a story of Amos in the Old Testament, but it's, it's also a concept from the New Testament. When Jesus started his earthly ministry, one of the major themes that he was always talking about is, is our need for repentance. He would say to people, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. He was calling people and saying, the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's already here. And you need to get in line with this king. You need to be in agreement with this king so that you don't face judgment, so that you don't face the things that are are coming. Why are we facing judgment? Well, just like the, the people of the Old Testament, the people of Israel that Amos is talking to, because we've turned our eyes from God. We've turned our backs on God. We've turned our attention away from God. He's called us to live for him. He's called us to honor him, but we do what we want to do, and we turn our backs on him, and sin enters our lives and our hearts and puts a distance between us and God. Every one of us is guilty of sin. Every one of us has sin, and the price of sin is separation, and so we've turned our backs on God, and we're walking away from God, and we're walking toward death and punishment and judgment, but God doesn't want us to be stuck in that cycle. God doesn't want us to be walking toward death. And so scripture tells us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sin, to pay the price for our wrongdoing, to pay the price of the sin that separates us from God so that we could know God, so that we could be found in a relationship with him, so that we could rest in him, and so that our souls and our lives could be restored. But for us to experience restoration, for us to experience new life, we first have to resign. We have to resign and say, I'm not in charge anymore. I'm not enough. I can't do enough. I can't be enough. And I deserve the, the punishment and separation from God that, that I'm walking toward. See, in, in resignation, we can repent and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for the things that are in my life and my heart, the things that separate me from you. Resignation can lead us to repentance, which can lead us to restoration. The theme of the book of Amos is that we deserve judgment, but that God was going to keep his promise and restore Israel to relationship and to be a family with him. And the reminder and the promise of the New Testament is that you and I deserve judgment. You and I deserve what our sin has earned. But we can repent from the the direction we've been walking, the way we've been walking. We can cry out to Jesus, repent of our sins and say, Lord, help me come into my life. And our lives can be restored. Our hearts can be restored. Our minds can be restored. And through a relationship with him, we can be made new. I don't know if you've, ever read the book of Amos before, my guess is probably not. I don't, I don't know that uh, it's something we think of this time of year. But I love the theme that it reminds us of, that God's long-term purposes are for restoration and a new family. And if today you feel like you're in a place where you realize you've been walking towards sin and death and your own selfish choices, and you're at the end of yourself, and you just want to cry out and say, Lord, come into my life and save me. I'm sorry." Thank you for sending your son. And Lord, I'm trusting in his death and burial and resurrection. I'm trusting in his promises to restore me and make me new. We would absolutely love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. As we respond and as we end this service, we've got people at the prayer table in the back that would love to talk to you. would love to pray with you about what it means to be restored. When the service is over, we would love to talk to you at the next steps table about what it means to be restored for your life to be restored, for you to have a relationship with Jesus and be found in him. Let me pray as we close, we can celebrate what God is doing. God, thank you so much for the reminders of scripture. Lord, thank you that even when we ignore you, even when we mock you, even when we worship other things and we're distracted, Lord, you pursue us and you don't give up on us. Lord, thank you for that thread all throughout scripture, all throughout the Bible, all throughout history. You pursue us and you love us and you don't give up on us. And Lord, you sent your son, Jesus, because we can't fix our situation. We can't save ourselves. We're not enough. We can't be enough. But Lord, he he was when he gave his life on the cross. So God, by trusting in him, we can be restored, we can be made new, and we can be forgiven. God, bring us to a place of resignation, of trying to run things. Bring us to a place of repentance and saying that we need God, and bring us to a place where we're walking toward you and pursuing restoration and living in restoration. Lord, maybe, maybe that's a decision for someone for the first time. Maybe that's just a reminder of someone that's putting the pieces back together and Trying to remember what their foundation is. Lord, help us to be people who are representing love and hope and restoration to the world. Not because we're perfect, but the one who gave his life for us is. So God, help us to rest in restoration, to trust in restoration, and to be hopeful and to live love because of restoration. Thanks for these promises and thanks for your church. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.